I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're the Sirens. Today we're discussing the 1961 film The Grass is Greener, starring Cary Grant, Deborah Kerr, Robert Mitchum, and Gene Simmons. In it, the Earl and Countess of Ryall, Victor and Hillary, are down on their luck to the point that they allow tourists to take guided tours of their castle. But Charles Delacroix, an American millionaire oil tycoon, visits, invades their private rooms, and takes a liking to more than the house. (laughs) (laughs) He and Hillary fall in love and begin having an affair. Soon, Hillary's American heiress friend, Hattie Durant, gets involved and they have a love triangle as Victor attempts in a very British way to get his wife back. Ill-begotten mink coats and absurd duels ensue. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Is that accurate, Hill? Um, I think so. Although, is Hattie Durant really uh, American? Apparently she is. Yeah, when I was I, I did not pick up on that when I was or when I was watching, but then when I was reading about it, they said she was an American. What? But I think some of those, like, upper-class accents, like, if you're oh, an upper-class yeah. American, you can kind of sound like a British person. <laughs> or at There's least not that much difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that is the, like, the absurdity, like, un- underscore the absurdity, I think, is how I feel about this movie a little bit. <laughs> Oh, and we should say that this oh, yeah. was a um, a Patreon request. So thank you for supporting the podcast. And anyone who supports at the highest level can request a film. And you too could have us discuss your movie. No pressure. <laughs> so I have some trivia. Oh, yes. Um, a lot of it involves casting. <laughs> Um, but so when I was watching this movie I kept saying this feels like a play because there's Mm -hmm. basically only like five characters Mm -hmm. they're just like in various rooms like you know there's not a lot of action or movement they're not outside really Mm -hmm. much of it they're just um, mostly either in this estate or in a hotel room so it was originally a play that did really well on the West End in London. Mm. Um, and Moray Watson, who played Sellers the butler, uh. was the only member of the original stage cast to be retained for the film version. Oh. And he was actually my favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> um, the novel writing butler? Yes. <laughs> um, it was originally intended by director Stanley Donan that Cary Grant would play the part of Delacroix. Mm. while Rex Harrison and Kay Kendall were supposed to be Victor and Hattie. But Kendall, who was married to Harrison, died soon after completing oh, yeah. an earlier Donan film, Once what? More With Feeling. Yeah, she she um, became ill and died, and Harris dropped out of the movie because of that. Oh, my God. And Cary Grant agreed to play the role uh, in instead of Delacroix, even though it wasn't his first choice because he wanted to support like everyone who was working on the film. Oh my God. I know. Isn't that awful? Yes. And a lot of what I read, and I agree with this. I mean, we can, we'll get into it more was that this was a much better role for, it was a much better role for Rex Harrison than for Cary Grant. And like Mm -hmm. Cary Grant was kind of miscast. 
And I kind of, I sort of, it was the least Cary Grant role of a Cary Grant that <sighs> maybe, I mean, with possible exception of um, Sylvia Scarlet, although I, like, at least then he was still sort of slapsticky in a way. <laughs> Um, well, this this character reminded me a lot of his character in Indiscreet, a character who's like, you know, like vaguely charming and like gorgeous and, you know, has the like demeanor to match the like the title or whatever. But you're also like, why are you being a jerk? And yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> why can't you just be straightforward? Yeah, he, it was very, like, this just felt like a very British movie. (laughs) And the way that, like, there was one line where he said, I would miss going to bed with you and there'd be no one to do the Christmas cards as, like, how he would miss her. And it reminded me a lot of Rex Harrison saying, like, where are those damn slippers in My Fair Lady? It was, like, just (laughs) this total equivocation of like not being willing to talk directly about feelings Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway says that he's she's like a housekeeper Mm -hmm. yeah oh gosh yeah Mm -hmm. so both rock hudson and charlton heston were approached about playing delacroix but they refused um i read that heston had another commitment and he wished he could have done it um, but Robert Mitchum was cast very late in the process, and Cary Grant often claimed that Mitchum saved the film hmm. and was a big fan of the performance. And I did think he was good in the role. Like, his character to me wasn't likable, but he was good. Most of the cast worked together a number of times before. It was the third of four movies that paired Deborah Kerr and Robert Mitchum, the third time Gene Simmons had worked with Karen Mitchum, and Cary Grant's third collaboration with Deborah Kerr. Um, and they had been in The Dream Wife in 53 and one of our other mm-hmm. podcast movies, An Affair to Remember. Mm-hmm. Another movie where you're just not straightforward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where if people just had a conversation, it would probably be better. Theme Um, for this year: if people would just have a conversation, it would there would be no movie. But exactly, Uh, and both the Cary Grant and Robert Mitchum characters refer to a mutual friend who doesn't appear in the film as Josh Peters, and that's actually a little inside joke by the director, whose sons were named Joshua and Peter. That was just his way of like slipping them into the film oh that's cute i know i like that um so who did you bio for this movie so i bio gene simmons who i feel like i had seen in several movies over the years um but didn't really know very much about her also we've already bioed karen grant and deborah carr so yeah and i was not all that interested in bioing robert mitchum so (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was glad you picked her if it was gonna be me that was who i was gonna pick too yeah well there's some cool factoids about her that i think you'll appreciate so she was born on january 31st 1929 in london to a bronze medalist in gymnastics at the 1912 summer olympics and his wife winifred ada loveland jean was the youngest of four children and she began acting at the age of 14 uh during during the time when her family was evacuated during the second world war to somerset and she started she or she enrolled in a dance school when her family 
returned to London after the war. She was spotted by director Val Guest, who cast her in um, a movie called Give Us the Moon. And she appeared in several small roles in several other films, um, including a very small part uh, as the harpist in Caesar and Cleopatra that starred Vivian Lee and uh, Simmons's future husband, Stuart Granger. The producer, Gabriel Pascal, uh, saw potential in Gene Simmons, and in 1945, he signed her to a seven-year contract to the J. Arthur Rank organization. She became a star in Britain when she was cast as the young Estella in Great Expectations in 1946. It was the third most popular film at the British box office in 1947, and she received excellent reviews. That experience and success of working on Great Expectation was what caused her to pursue an acting career more seriously. She was top billed for the first time in the movie Uncle Silas that came out in 1947. She had a couple of other films that weren't particularly successful, but then she was in a huge international hit playing Ophelia in Laurence Olivier's Hamlet in 1948, and she received her first Oscar nomination for that. She starred with Stuart Granger in the comedy Adam and Evelyn in 1949. That was the movie that sort of linked the two of them, and they eventually, or very soon afterwards, got married. She became or he became, sorry, a Hollywood star in King Solomon's Mines in 1950, uh, which got him a contract signed by MGM, and that's what moved them to L.A. Her agency sold her contract to Howard Hughes, who then owned RKO Pictures. He turned out, spoiler, to be an asshole. Um, (laughs) I was going to say, she seems like his type, like he would have been gross. (laughs) Yeah. It was, did not turn out well. Her first Hollywood film was in Androcles and the Lion, produced by Pascal um, and co-starring Victor Mature. It was followed by a couple of, of, of additional movies that Howard Hughes sort of like got in the way of her career. He had decided like almost immediately that he wanted to pursue her. And when she, like her nose were not enough, her husband intervened and told him, told Hughes to leave his wife alone and Hughes just like totally pulled down the full full power of his anger against both of them and including like he like told a director one of the movies that she was in to like work really rough and so the director told you know the actor that was working uh, with her to like punch her really hard and like when he didn't do it right he like turned around and punched the director and was like what are you effing kidding me? Um, yeah, great. Eventually, there was a court case that freed uh, Simmons from the contract with Hughes in 1952. They settled out of court. And part of the arrangement was that Simmons would do one more film for no additional money and to do three more movies under the auspices of RKO, but not actually at the studio. Just like terrible. Yeah, how was that a good outcome? It, it, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I think that the, out, the good part of it was that... <laughs> She didn't have to see him anymore. Oh. She uh, went over to 20th Century Fox to play the female lead in The Robe, which was the first CinemaScope movie and an enormous financial success. Less popular was the movie um, The Actress in 1950, that same year, 1953, alongside Spencer Tracy. It was, even though it didn't do well at the box office, it was one of her favorite movies. She and Stuart Granger returned to England in 1955, and then she was cast um, in the screen adaptation of Guys and Dolls. 
Oh. And then she she just was in a bunch of movies in you know the late 50s into the 60s, rounding out the decade with the happy ending for which she received her second Oscar nomination. Um, and by the 70s, she turned her focus to stage and television acting, including touring the United States in Stephen Sondheim's A Little Night Music. Oh, and, I don't yep. think I knew that she was in that. No, I didn't know either. She also appeared uh, a little bit later on in North and South, which came out in 1985, oh. and then a remake of Great Expectations. So sort of at the end of the career, reprising um, the film that she did at the beginning. She also made a late career appearance in Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> and all these people showing up in Star Trek. <laughs> I don't I feel know. Like that's a theme of our body. I guess they had good, um, you know, like guest guest roles. Yeah, I guess. And she also voiced the lead role of Sophie in the English dub of Howl's Moving Castle in 2004. So, nerd alert. She she had two daughters, Tracy and Kate. Their names bear witness to uh, her friendship with Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Thought you would appreciate oh, that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. In 2003, um, she was appointed an officer of the Order of the British Empire for services to acting, and she died from lung cancer at her home in Santa Monica in 2010 at the age of 80, and she was buried at Highgate Cemetery in North London. Wow. I mean, except for the Howard Hughes part, it sounds like a pretty good life. Yeah. Yeah, she would seem to work a lot and she lived to be 80. So, you know. Yeah, I like that. She, I found her to be, I mean, I don't think this is like a new observation, but she was very striking. And every time she was on the screen mm-hmm. and like considering everyone else who was in this movie, like I found myself looking at her. Yeah. So, although like I found her character very annoying, but I still, <laughs> I still could help but look at her. <laughs> And that doesn't say anything about the acting. I think that character is just annoying. Yeah, she did a good job of playing a very annoying character. (laughs) Um, So high-level thoughts. What did you think of it, Hill? My, like, and my, like, overarching high-level thought was just that I was like, okay, these are, like, highfalutin people who, like, don't actually have any actual problems. (laughs) That was what I thought, too. I I made a note that was, like, rich people mooning about and talking about meaningless nonsense. That was my note. (laughs) That sounds accurate. (laughs) It wasn't unpleasant to watch, but I was like, oh, boo-hoo, you have to rent out, uh, allow tourists into your enormous castle in the countryside. You could get jobs. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, no one should live in a place like that. You know what I mean? Like, all that space. Yeah. I mean, or like, you could live in a place like that and enjoy it and just be like, yeah, we live in a house that you know four fifths of it we don't live in because it's a museum and the other half of it we just hang out in and we lock the freaking doors so that like the tourists (laughs) can't come in it did remind me of like i visited so many estate homes and castles in britain and you know a lot of them were lived in and they would just have those little signs that says like this part's private this is the residence yeah i always thought that would be so weird yeah. Um, but I, one of the things I read when I was doing my research is that in British movies, this was actually a theme. What? Like in the post-World War II, in post-World War II British films, 
there was a theme of like these estates falling apart and like not being able to maintain because like that whole way of life had sort of disappeared um you know cry me a river just cry me a river (laughs) and that because it came up so much in the movies it actually helped draw support for the start of the national trust which is like now what maintains all of those yeah properties as like heritage sites I mean I guess like the public historian in me is like that's nice I mean that's like a cool outcome but the the part of me that's like eat the rich is like (laughs) get a job (laughs) yeah it was very I mean did you watch Downton Abbey I watched the first couple of seasons I mean that's basically all that movie is about is like we have a huge estate and like all of these local people depend on us for jobs and everything's falling apart because we've never had to actually make money. How do we go forward? So I think that it actually was kind of in some way a problem, but it's because the economies were set up. So like everyone was like a tenant farmer or something. It's so, yeah. um, You know, maybe address that first. And then, <laughs> you know, then we could look at the crumbling estate, but I mean, I can't even complain because I love beautiful old houses like that. Although that place was ridiculously huge. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they could have, there were like two different galleries where they could have like had a duel like at 30 paces. <laughs> That's true. I was like, why are they doing this inside? This is so weird. Because they would have, if they'd gone outside, they would have had to wait until the morning. And that oh. just would have been too long to wait. Yeah. They might have thought better of it. <laughs> That's the problem. Well, so what, like, what did you think of the romantic chemistry and tension among the four <laughs> main characters? I mean, what I thought was funny was that, like, in the first couple of scenes between the Earl and the lady or whatever, Hillary and what's the, what's Victor? Victor, yeah you know they're like portrayed as being like loving and like they love each other and they support each other and they're like teasing each other or whatever and then all of a sudden this guy walks in and she's like I'm in love with you I'm gonna kiss you like what why would you you just what is the thing that's like yeah that was that was the odd thing that they spent 20 minutes with each other and they were just instantly in love and I just I don't know I had a hard time wrapping my mind around that and it basically from the moment that happened she seemed very sensible in the opening and then it was like everything just went out the window and I mean so you know I find it annoying when people are always saying like with the woman like what about the kids but I was thinking like the entire you know the kids leave in the first scene they come back in the last scene Mm -hmm. but during the whole discussion of like the affair and whether or not she was gonna Leave, leave Victor and marry Charles the kids didn't come up once once I know and I was I like, guess it, they, <laughs> they came up like when she was like telling the story of like the dolls Emma's dolls that was the only time it just seems to me like if you're thinking about marrying someone or even just running away with them that unless you really were just kind of like I don't care about my kids at all or you know whatever you would be like oh if this person might be my partner like maybe I should have them meet my kids or think about what it would mean if I moved to America like you know but yeah that was not discussed were you surprised that like I the, the part that I I was not 
expecting was that she actually just went straight into having an affair with him. I thought it was going to be more of like a he's pursuing her will they won't they kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was surprised about that too. And I was surprised at how like explicit the movie was about like, oh, they like had dinner. Like they're not at the dinner table anymore. What are they doing? Like, oh, the bedroom door is closing. What are they doing? (laughs) And I was like, dang, like they just like went all the way immediately, I guess. It was jarring. And I mean, this is... This is 1961, right, I said? Yeah. At the beginnings. But still, it was considered pretty racy to show the bedroom door closing. (laughs) I mean, they could have... I think if it was an earlier film, they would have had to just sort of imply or leave it vague. Yeah. Um, But there was no ambiguity about what was happening. And the way that Victor reacted though it was I mean the whole thing was just very British like he was just like you know I'm not happy about this but I'm not going to show any emotion Mm -hmm. and it would be better if we didn't talk about it at all yeah because the minute we talk about it then it becomes real and then we have to deal with it like (laughs) yeah like need therapy much yes (laughs) what did you think of how he invited Charles just to come visit (laughs) I think at some point Charles is like it would be insane to do this and I was like yes it it is insane why (laughs) (laughs) but this is also a man who like gets his butler to like shoot him to kindle the like sympathy from his estranged wife that's also weird yeah the whole thing was very odd it sort of seemed to me like they were from the same class and you know kind of understood each other and had like a certain way of life that they lived Mm -hmm. and in the end she went back to that yeah yeah she was like not so much with him but like with that yeah, the kind of life that she was used to living. Yeah, and I might be alone in this, but I really didn't find the Charles character appealing at all. <laughs> like, I was no. like, why does she like him? No, I didn't find him appealing at all either. I mean, he basically walks, He to me it seemed That's like Catholic. deliberately, yeah, yeah, he deliberately went into their room. Then he declares himself an oil man and a millionaire. And then, and it also seemed like she was more interested in him once she heard that he was a millionaire, which I was like, great. Yes. <laughs> like any other person who comes into your private room, you just be like, get out. <laughs> and then she was like, but wait, you're rich? <laughs> and, then, and he was so aggressive with her too. Like there was no way that that was not a practiced thing. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Like that he had done it before. Yeah, like it was the way he pursued her. He just seemed incredibly assured that she was going to capitulate to him. Mm-hmm. And it really creeped me out when he was calling all the hair salons in London to find out if she had an appointment and then they just confirmed it. <laughs> I know. I was like, wait, I mean, she's a lady. I mean, you shouldn't do that for anybody. But like, don't you have standards to protect the privacy of like, well, anybody? yeah but like can you imagine doing that now just calling up hairdressers and be like i just want to know if so and so has an appointment there just randomly (laughs) and it's a man calling about a woman like (laughs) and you know for darn sure that it's not that woman's 
a husband yeah Mm -hmm. not that it's okay for your husband to like you know stalk you around wherever (laughs) but yeah that was creepy and then he just showed up there too one part that I thought actually was well portrayed was before she actually starts having the affair with him but when she is she's feeling pulled towards it but she also knows she shouldn't do it And she's in that like waffling space for, it just seemed like a day or two. And then she goes to the, and it was like one of those things where she knew like if she went to London, like something was going to happen. Yeah. And then she made the decision to go. That to me felt very real, like that tension and just the whole way. I mean, Deborah Carr. She's great. And I, you know, I wasn't wild about her character. As I said, my favorite character was the butler. I wasn't really wild about any of the main four characters, but <laughs> she just, she was very good in this, I thought. Yeah. I mean, I guess that like one thing I, I can appreciate about this movie is that just like she, she did just follow what she seemed to just say, like, I want this. I'm going to go pursue this, whatever it is. I mean, I guess I appreciate that, that, you know, kind of had an idea of what she wanted and went with it. Yeah. Kind of bizarrely, but at least like, (laughs) it seemed like she was, she was making the choice to do it. It wasn't like creepy Charles was like forcing her to do anything. And he, at least he like seemed to like, like respect her choices. Like at the end, he wasn't like, oh no, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. She said, I'm staying with Victor. And he said, okay, at least he was a decent enough character to like respect her decision yeah I mean that that's a very good point that the movie felt modern in a way in that it was a a woman and a married woman on top of it Mm -hmm. choosing to pursue a sexual relationship and Mm -hmm. it was strange because like you're pointing out that she did have agency but in in, somehow it felt like she didn't (laughs) in the movie but she actually did it was just that she was acting so moony the whole time that Mm -hmm. if she would she kept saying like I don't know what's come over me but like actually she was making decisions yeah and it you know this was a movie where the wife cheats on the husband yeah oh that's true and I mean really he the character of Victor was kind of anemic like he he doesn't get to be like the sexy one in this I mean Cary Grant is always sexy but he like he didn't have like strong like swagger in this movie. Yeah. Um he's although, like wearing cardigans and <laughs> and glasses, although he looked great in his glasses. I was gonna say that, but that's like the swagger that like uh attracts someone like us. I feel like that's <laughs> how to attract yeah. a nerd. Wear a cardigan. <laughs> Not that it's bad to be a nerd. Not that you're a nerd, Emily, but um, um, I mean I, I'm a nerd, I'll say it. <laughs> um I mean the one thing that like ticked me off was that like there was a double standard because he like Victor totally like admitted to like pursuing other women but he was like no 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 that's like a different thing like it's different when it's a man oh so was that really what I was I felt thought he was saying he had it or I interpret I interpreted it as like oh he had oh 
Yeah, I wondered about that because I was like, if he, like, I actually liked it better thinking that he had it because it's like, oh, your wife had an affair and you're not like questioning your masculinity or anything. You can just sort of like carry on. But if he had multiple affairs, then that's like, he's probably like, I'm doing good. I'm fine. Like, it's, it's, um, he, he had reassurance then. Yeah, I think he like in a conversation he has with sellers, he like says something about having had an affair prior uh yeah i mean it, it's very like british upper class is that you just <laughs> you marry someone for like practical reasons and it's just sort of assumed that you're gonna have dalliances mm-hmm. and yeah she had hers and what did you think of what he said at the end that when a wife is unfaithful you should befriend her i don't know i mean i think like the the modern like my modern you know 21st century like read on that was like oh he's saying like when your wife cheats on you you should recognize that you're not like giving her what she wants and so you should like think about your wife as a person and like figure out what support she needs but I'm not sure that's what he was saying yeah I don't know if it was or not but I yeah it didn't feel to me in that scene as if he was saying like oh I was like failing to meet your needs in some way so so this happened (laughs) and I don't mean sexually but like just generally yeah and it did did you think that she was in love with him too with victor yeah i mean i think the scenes at the beginning of this the movie are supposed to lead us to believe that she is in love with him like they have like you know those cozy moments in the bedroom where she's talking about using her mushroom money and he writes her a check and whatever. i mean i guess they were cozy but they could have as easily been like love but not in love or more of like a familial love I guess I mean that was the part that wasn't as clear to me like was she going back to him because she was really in love with him or was it like she loved him and that was her family and that was her life Uh, because British people don't actually make declarations of their feelings we will never know yeah it's hard to know because we don't know what his actual feeling or her actual feelings are um what did you think of sellers as like the failed writer and i thought it was hilarious in the beginning when he was talking about like how you can't be normal and happy and be a successful writer i identified a lot with him and i was like you know maybe i should become a butler this is not a terrible (laughs) idea especially when he was like i don't have anything to do and the earl was like why don't you go work on your novel and i was like this is actually the perfect situation of like you're at work you have nothing to do you say to your boss can you like give give me more to do or cut my pay although i was like why are you asking the guy to cut your pay dude yeah and your boss is like just go work on your novel i know don't bother me go work on your novel like that's the dream I, i had a job when i was very young like just out of school where I mean I don't know if it was like explicitly tolerated but there were other people on the staff who had like other creative pursuits and they told me like oh if it's slow around here like you can just work on your writing and it wasn't slow very often but I was like green light to work on my writing at this job yeah Um, yeah 
which was fine because I was in grad school then so I was always like I have more reading to do and like all this (laughs) stuff but um yeah so I guess jobs like that do exist I mean when we worked together at the same job remember how for some of the some of the positions like part of their it was like you know 60% of your time is supposed to be on your own research and we're gonna pay you for that I was like how does this work yeah I want that I want 40% of mine to be like job and 60% to be my own like research project I that, that I care about yeah the benefits um, of having a PhD in in the history of science I guess yeah um but I digress the only benefit of having a PhD in <laughs> yeah that's true and like if you actually got one of those very few jobs that are available to you <laughs> so do you think we're ready to talk well we didn't even talk about Hattie at all do you have things to say about Hattie I mean I I wanted a little bit more about her back like backstory because they like every you know to make her mad they would refer to her refer to her as mrs durant and she would just like raspberry i was like who do what what is happening yeah they didn't give a so other things i read about her when i was doing the research were the like some of the synopses that i saw said like she was pursuing victor Mm -mm. when she came down did you get that? No, I did yeah, not get that I didn't that get at all. that either. I mean, it did, Hillary did get jealous a little bit, like, oh, what were you guys doing here? And like, oh, why did you go out to dinner? And when did you go to bed? But at, like, he, he seemed to actively dislike her and was very rude to her. So hadn't they been previously engaged? Like, didn't they, wasn't that the story that like they were engaged or like in a relationship and then Hattie like introduced her, him to Hillary and that was it? Yeah, I think they at least dated before that. So, I mean, it could be that she was still interested in him, but they were friends. Like who was just like, oh, I'm going to go try to sleep with my friend's husband now because there seems to be an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I I thought she was pretty vapid and annoying, but mm-hmm. her clothes were fabulous. Yeah, and that like diamond headdress thingy that she was wearing. Oh, yeah. And what about the like ball gown slash pantsuit thing she had going on? I knew you were gonna mention that. And like honestly, I that is I would wear that. I mean, <laughs> not that exact one, just because it like was a little much color wise but like yeah those pants looked cozy and then you have like the like fancy little like dress jacket thingy like sure yeah it's like a cross between pajamas and a ball gown it's like yeah. a ball gown but comfortable yeah which like what's not to like about that <laughs> yeah I thought it was great it was so early 60s too like all the style I, mm-hmm. so I just enjoyed the all the costumes in this a lot yeah um although the idea of like being at home and then wearing tuxedos and ball gowns to dinner for four people at home just seemed so ludicrous to me yeah it's the exact opposite of the life i want to lead <laughs> i've been living my own life making my own decisions for a long while now it's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again but yeah i think i think we're ready to talk about Bechtel. do you think it mm. passes no I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I was like, what could the what could the women have even talked about that was not relationships in this movie? And I was like, the mushrooms. Yeah, the like, children. Yeah, there was nothing. Do we even know what Hattie like? Does Hattie have a job, or 
No. She's just an heiress and socialite, I think. I thought you were going to say airhead. Well, (laughs) although I was sympathetic to the fact that she couldn't spell well and was bad at Scrabble because spelling is my Achilles heel and I love Scrabble. So (laughs) it's like, it is hard to not be able to spell. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. No, Bechtel. What about social justice? Hmm. Nothing like really immediately comes to mind, or like even having thought about it, I nothing comes to mind. I think. Yeah. I mean, we sort of talked. We've sort of joked about like oh the divisions between upper and lower classes, and how like you know they could just talk to each other or get a job, and like normal everyday people, and like maybe there wouldn't be so many problems that are just like ridiculous stupid problem yeah it does seem like that idea of like when you really have nothing to do you Mm -hmm. kind of get caught up in trivial things and drama yeah and that's what this felt like to me Um, but yeah I mean there was no one even the butler seemed pretty upper class himself Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like there wasn't anyone who didn't seem to be from the upper echelons of society in some way yeah Well, and it didn't even seem like they were using their social capital to, like, promote, like, the social good, basically. It seemed like they were just like, oh, well, I don't have anything else to do, so I'm going to grow some mushrooms and sell them at the market. (laughs) I'm going to grow some mushrooms so we can maintain our crumbling estate (laughs) and then... So they they was very like British boarding school children. They were like, go off to the relatives. Bye. With your governess that we're going to fire because we don't like her. But it's okay. So yeah, it doesn't pass Bechdel and it's not social justice. (laughs) Well, what what rating would you give it? Can I give it a five just because there's a character named Hillary? <laughs> I thought that, but I wish that it was a better character. <laughs> I thought Are there not was... a lot of Hillary's? I mean, it's, I guess in the early films, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel like I've seen a lot of movies with characters named Hillary. I liked that they sort of, like, they made a thing about her name because, you know, because they were, Charles was like, that's a boy's name. And she was like, I was named after my father's friend. They hoped that he would, like, leave stuff to me in his will, and then he didn't. (laughs) And I was like, and 50 years later, that Hillary is a girl's name. Yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, I guess I saw when I was watching part of it with Mike and he was like, isn't that a girl's name? I, it's both, but you rarely meet a male Hillary now. Mm-hmm. Very rare. I I don't think I have this vague memory of at some point like encountering a male Hillary, but they're mostly British. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, I think I've only met British male Hillary's. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not giving it a five just because there's a Hillary in it um, and just because there's Cary Grant. Um, and Deborah Carr. I think I'm going to give it a three. I would watch, rewatch this movie again, only because of Deborah Carr and Cary Grant and Gene Simmons. Like, you know, it was like, as much as it was like a silly, ridiculous movie, and we've just like talked about how it was like silly and ridiculous. Like, on the other hand, like, it's kind of nice to have that escape. And That's have, true. Like, yeah, I mean, there's just also no, like, pretension. Like, there's no, I mean, there's a lot of pretend, the pretension of being, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, upper 
upper class UK, but it's like not trying to be anything other than that. Like this is a story about the like the people who live in these castles in the UK and don't have any real problems. And- <laughs> yeah, I I felt the same way. Like it would be a great sort of background movie if you were like working on something mm-hmm. and it has a lot of repartee. I mean, that was the whole way that they fight with each other and flirt with each other is just mm-hmm. through repartee, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm yeah Um, and yeah there's there's a lot of good actors in this so I would say the same I would give it a three um I didn't love it but I liked it and I do think it's rewatchable plus Cary Grant and glasses is always a good thing I mean I guess like I did love the bit as a glasses where where they were getting ready to do the duel and all three of the men had to put their glasses on (laughs) <laughs> so i liked see. that too yeah some of it was very funny actually we didn't <laughs> talk about that I, and i was genuinely surprised when it turned out that they were shooting blanks and sellers just shot him in the arm <laughs> that, was, that was pretty hilarious <laughs> and he was just nonplussed by the whole thing yeah <laughs> so we're, we're actually when's the last time we gave the same score to something hill i don't know i feel like not too long ago we gave like had sort of a like we gave, both gave a movie a three i can't remember though when it was well it probably not means often. that i liked it more than you did because usually <laughs> that's right. usually i'm lower and um, yeah but that's good we could rewatch it together sometime that's right. So what's our next movie? Um, our next movie is The Best Years of Our Lives. Oh, another a... great ensemble cast. That's right. Very different vibe, though. I welcome it. That's right. <laughs> May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. Leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. And become a patron at patreon.com slash The Screen Sirens. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.